Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. And we're live. Hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm fantastic. Good. I know. I'm back. Yes, I'm ready you are. for another story. Good. I'm glad because I'm telling you a story today. Yeah. And you were flabbergasted that I did not know this scenario person. Siegfried circus. and Roy? Yeah. Yeah. It's actually quite shocking. I mean, you don't know like, who they are. I know. I thought Sigmund Freud, like the the guy, you know, the guy, right? Like the a Freudian, psychologist. Freudian yeah. slip kind of thing. Yeah. No. Uh, Siegfried and Roy are performers. And okay. they're very famous performers. They've been referenced on like so many TV shows. Okay, but like also, who are they? They're huge. And Not so many really. people would be like, oh my God, I cannot believe you don't know who Sigmund or well, you who know Siegfried who... and Roy is. Now now you got me saying Sigmund. <laughs> I mean, it, it's catchy. But you know who doesn't care? Me. You don't care about Siegfried and Roy? No. Okay. Why should I care? I mean, if we're telling this on the podcast, they almost killed somebody. No, they did not. They, almost... they survived. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I guess that's kind of debatable because, no, it's not. They didn't do anything really bad. They just uh, had a bunch of, like, jungle cats on stage with uh, a big audience. So that could have yeah. gone wrong in a lot of ways. They got a little spooked. Well, yeah, you're going to find out what happens. But, like, they are basically known for being German-American magicians and entertainers who performed together as Siegfried and Roy and they were best known for their use of white lions and white tigers in their acts. Why white? They just liked it. Okay, so like albino cats? I don't know if they were albino. Maybe they were. Anyway, they just looked cool. They're like a snow leopard kind of Ooh, thing. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So they just love big cats. They're kind of like the Joe Exotic of the, the <laughs> 1980s. <laughs> So many things. But like they're about Joe Exotic. No, but they're like way better than Joe Exotic. Oh, obviously. Word. Yeah, I was like, were they like shooting near people's feet for like fun? No, is that no. their vibe? The only reason I said Joe Exotic is because he had a lot of animals, like oh, okay. big cats. I was like, did they feed them like discount hot dogs from Kroger? No, no, actually, quite deal? the opposite. They were living in like a gigantic mansion with a bunch of tigers and lions. Like that's wild. Yeah. So they brought the jungle into a mansion. Correct. Did they put any plants around? <laughs> Did they make it? Did plants. they make the whole thing jungle themed? Do you think that they had a ten million dollar mansion and they didn't have plants in it? I don't know what these people do. Okay. I don't know who they are. Right. You know how billionaires they'll have like this really sanitized like freaking mansion with one art piece in the whole freaking room and everything's just white freaking. marble. Maybe nowadays, but no, this is like this is back early two thousands nineties kind of mansion where yeah. it's like maximalism right and had some class well it was very like exotic looking if you will like it was like called imagine the, that i'm gonna talk about this later but it was called the jungle palace they well, had like why? 16 lions and like 64 tigers or something crazy like that well it's kind of hard to not call it the jungle palace right you know all right anyway we're getting carried away <laughs> why don't we just jump into the story because uh then you'll finally know who siegfried and roy are and you all won't right. have to ask me all these questions sure <laughs> okay well the questions are not going to end. I'm yeah, sorry. That's true. I know who you are. The questions persist. Okay. So Siegfried and Roy met as teenagers. 
Roy Horn left home at 13 years old to be a bellboy on the SS Bremen, which was a luxurious German ocean liner. He wasn't trying to become a magician at that time. His only motivation was to run away from home. He was escaping a turbulent home life with an abusive alcoholic stepfather. And growing up with an abusive alcoholic father figure was something that Roy had in common with Siegfried Fischbacher. Roy's lifelong love of animals started when he adopted a stray dog that protected him and his mother from his father's fists. So that love for animals started very, very young. And Siegfried's form of escape was through magic. He taught himself tricks from books after watching an entertainer swallow razor blades in his town square. In 1959, Siegfried, who was four years older than Roy, had also been working on the SS Bremen as a steward. He worked on the crew during the day, but at night, he had a gig to perform magic. Like, literally pulling rabbits out of hats kind of magic. Classic. Very classic. Siegfried's act on the Bremen was so popular that he was asked to expand to two shows a night, one for first class and one for tourist class. But Roy, who had jumped at the opportunity to become Siegfried's assistant during his shows, didn't really understand the hype. He wasn't impressed by the few rabbits that Siegfried had been working with. Siegfried asked Roy what he thought about the show, and Roy told him, eh, it's pretty good, but <laughs> but do you think you could make a cheetah disappear? And Siegfried was like, huh? Back in Germany, Roy had gotten special access to the Bremen Zoo because he had family friends who sat on the board. And because he visited the zoo so frequently, he formed a bond with a cheetah named Chico. Seriously? He formed, Chico the cheetah. Yeah. He formed a bond with Chico the cheetah. And eventually, Roy somehow arranged to take this big cat with him on his journey. On a boat. If that doesn't scream 1960s, I don't know what does. You can <laughs> literally take a cheetah out of a zoo and be like, you're coming on the boat with me. How old is he at this point? 16? Yeah. He was like, a oh yeah, because he ran away from home when he was 13. So he's probably, he's a teenager. Dude, this is insane. I know. In what world, even in the 60s, are you going to give a 16-year-old a cat that I could kill people? Yeah, I don't know if he was given the cheetah so much as he took the cheetah. Oh, he took it. Right. Okay, this makes, this is Making coming around. more sense, right. Yeah. So Siegfried thought Roy was out of his mind, especially when Roy took Siegfried below deck to show him that he had smuggled this cheetah on board. Okay, keyword smuggled. You were making it seem like he they gave him permission to take a cat on the boat. Oh, I wasn't trying to do that. I was just saying that he had permission to like be in the zoo a lot because he had okay. family friends. But no, he took the cheetah. Um... <laughs> How did he do that? The logistics of hiding a, what, 200 at least pound cat think that's about, bigger than you? Think about literally walking it on board. Yeah. I'm like, like how <laughs> did, did anyone stop How him? did nobody see that? And how did he get from the zoo to the boat? He must have, I mean, he had it probably in a cage and he like rolled the cage on board or something, but like that's still insane. Yeah. I mean, you would imagine that people would ask more questions. <laughs> not, not in 1960. Dude, this is insane. Yeah. This is a cat heist. It really is. So now that they did have a cheetah, Siegfried began building something to be able to make the cheetah disappear in his act. Because he's like, all right, bet. We got one. So, <laughs> it's like, well, it's here. Right. So you can only imagine the passenger's surprise when they sat down for their nightly performance. And instead of a rabbit appearing, they saw a cheetah pop out of the box. And the two of them, rightfully, almost got fired 
but the captain realized that the passengers loved the show so much that he let them stay. Wow. Yep. Hey, I mean, money talks. <laughs> it's very true. Know? The pair would spend hours in their cabins creating new illusions together. Siegfried would come up with an idea and Roy would add in another surprising element to it. So Chico the Cheetah became a staple in Siegfried and Roy's performance, and eventually their act went ashore, and they performed in nightclubs and cabarets all over Europe. In 1966, the duo's big break came when Grace Kelly, aka Princess Grace of Monaco, invited them to perform at her annual Red Cross Gala in Monte Carlo. Their cheetah, Chico, fled through the celebrity-packed crowd, straight past Kelly, and into the kitchens. When Siegfried nonchalantly jumped off the stage, the crowd assumed that it was part of the act, and they got a standing ovation. And then that was put in the newspapers, because they were like, cheetah runs to the kitchen and the crowd goes wild the cheetah ran into the kitchen yes it ran off the stage through the crowd and into the kitchen it wasn't like leashed no dude what is happening they just like let the cheetah on the stage yes and they're like it'll be fine they pr they may have had a small leash on it but nothing that like held it anywhere like actually because it's, it's a straight up cheetah so that thing is stronger than you if it wants to go to the kitchen <laughs> it's going to the kitchen you know <laughs> anyway straight up cheetah dude. it's a straight up cheetah in the late 1960s they were hired by Follet berger i hope i'm saying that right in paris who had been launching a new show in las vegas at that time in las vegas there were a lot of shows with like topless dancers or musical performances like the rat pack so adding two german men with thick accents doing magic with big cats wasn't necessarily going to fit in they weren't sure how the people would receive it. But something about Siegfried and Roy's show that gave them a leg up was you didn't have to be over 21 to go and watch it. It was family friendly. It also got all foreign travelers because you didn't have to understand English to enjoy it. So that, and it was a complete spectacle, made it an extremely successful and incredible show. By the early 80s, there were acts that were influenced by Siegfried and Roy. They had created this formula that was really taking off, and people wanted a piece of that. But this wasn't the first time magicians used animals in their show. That had started as early as the late 1800s and early 1900s. But the use of exotic animals in magic had gone away by the time Siegfried and Roy were starting out. So the duo had the knowledge of this, I guess, magical history, but there, <laughs> but there weren't any acts out there that did what they were doing anymore. They were so popular that they had an entire casino resort built around them, which included their very own home theater. So they're like in their 30s and 40s now? About, yeah. That's not bad. So they have a whole casino for them. Yes. They were extremely successful, like right away. And they had, yeah, they had a whole building built for them, like a whole casino resort theater. Damn. And they performed there for 30 years. They did 12 to 14 shows a week, 48 weeks a year, and filled the showroom every single night. Wow. That's a great run. Yes. For nearly... And just a money printer. You have no idea. So for nearly half a century, they performed for 50 million people, generating well over a billion dollars in ticket sales. They were earning $57 million a year, making them the top earning show in Las Vegas history. Yeah. Top that, Taylor Swift. Oh, don't even come <laughs> for Taylor Swift. Absolutely not. She's already like made a billion dollars, I think. 
Yeah, I know. She's like, I did that in one tour. Yeah, she's like, I'm good. What's what are we talking? Oh, it about took here? them thirty years. That's cute. That's mwah. try one summer. I'm not even thirty. <laughs> she even thirty? Yes, she's thirty. I think. Anyway, the Guinness Book of World Records named them the world's most expensive magic act. The duo suspended tigers above the crowds on flaming disco balls and made elephants vanish into thin air. There were around 250 cast and crew members, and they had 75 tons of scenery, including a six-story mechanical fire-breathing dragon. Excuse me, what? Six-story? Yes, a six-story like... mechanical fire-breathing dragon. When you are these two, though, and you make however many millions of... $57 million dollars a year. The in the 90s yes i mean why wouldn't you just like yeah. spend it on something that cool yeah why wouldn't you have a six-story mechanical fire-breathing dragon of, like of course <laughs> michael jackson even wrote a song about them that is nuts yeah the show itself was like a well-oiled machine they balanced each other out siegfried said roy would be too much if he was on his own and he meaning siegfried might not be enough so they were the perfect pair Lynette Chappelle, who performed with the pair for more than 14 years as their evil queen, who was like the bad guy in the show, said their relationship hadn't always been a smooth ride. The pair was like day and night. They were also known to have their fair share of arguments. But once they agreed on something, they could depend on each other. Through it all, Siegfried and Roy lived together with their big cats and other animals in their Las Vegas mansion called the Jungle Palace. The $10 million Moroccan-style villa was the most luxurious Las Vegas mansion at the time. They also had a suite at the Mirage, which was their hotel, where they would hang out with the animals after their shows, and they had their 100-acre residence, Little Bavaria, where German marching music played through concealed speakers. Wow. Now, I'm starting to pick up on something that what? I hope is true. Are they secretly gay they're not secretly gay they're gay oh they're gay <laughs> yes oh and they're a couple wait since when has this been apparent the whole time um well i don't know that they actually ever confirmed it like for real oh but okay. they are partners and they live together and they're both gay men who are very eccentric and they okay have like a family well, I... together well, not did, kids did... but big cats okay right well, yeah Right. But you didn't say that before. No, it, it's kind not of, like a plot yeah. point. They're just like, I'm pretty sure they were partners, That's but it tight. was also the 90s and 80s. So yeah, and they I were mean, from Germany. Cool. So it's like it wasn't like it was like hip to be gay, you know? No, but um, I do love the plot line. We love a gay plot line. So they shared their home with 63 tigers, 16 lions, and a slew of other exotic animals. Sweet. Did you hear those numbers? 63, 16. Does each one have its own room? <laughs> they might as that. well. Well, they had a 100-acre property and their $10 million mansion, so like they could have given you them all an rooms. an acre per cat. Did none of them fight? Like, Are they all just like coexisting like hippies? Kind of chilling yeah so roy meat. roy loved animals and he was the main person who interacted with them on stage and at home he spent all of his time with them siegfried was always there with him on stage and did interact with the animals but he said roy had a special connection with them roy considered himself a father figure to his cats he said from the time they were born his face was the first one they saw so they probably thought of him as another lion or tiger but he did say he never considered himself the boss. The luckiest he could be is if the big cats called Roy their friend. Mm. So he definitely like had a 
respect and understanding that these cats were deadly or could be. I mean, you would hope so. Their 63 tigers and 16 lions all still had their claws, like none of them were declawed, and they had the run of the properties, including Roy's bedroom and the pool. Roy meditated with at least one tiger every day. He would play with them, sleep with them, swim, wrestle, and lay with them. Really? Yes. There are many videos of Roy roughhousing with lions and tigers in his backyard, like literally riding them, wrestling them on the ground, swimming with them in the pool, laying with them in bed, like they were his children. Imagine 60 tigers in a pool. Would 60 tigers fit in a pool? I don't know. Now I'm starting to do the math. You yeah, know, that's this like is a lot just of tigers. insane. I know. You just like will come home and this enormous animal is just doggy paddling in the pool. Kitty paddling. Did they like the pool? I think they did, yeah. Siegfried, however, didn't have the same relationship with the animals, and at times he said it made him jealous because he didn't understand why Roy could do that and he couldn't. Siegfried was the intense, quiet one. He was the technical wizard and brains behind the disappearing axe. Roy had his own animal magnetism and could command the big cats with the flick of a finger. Roy didn't so much train the animals as much as he bonded with them through a technique called affection conditioning, raising tiger cubs from birth and sleeping with them until they were a year old. He said, when an animal gives you its trust, you feel like you have been given the most beautiful gift in the world. And Siegfried and Roy were not only illusionists, there was also the spectacle that these men had the ability to tame wild animals, or at least that's how it appeared. And like I said, Roy had a real respect for these animals, But he did also know that there was always a possibility of danger, but he wasn't afraid of his animals. He knew that if they wanted to, they could kill him very quickly, but he also never believed anything bad would happen. But that didn't mean nothing dangerous or scary ever happened to them. There was one instance where one of Roy's tigers jumped on him and pinned him to the ground. And he said, what do you do when a 600 pound tiger is on top of you? That's a good question, Roy. Pray. Yeah, well, what he did was bite the tiger in the nose, and it got off of him. And, and that the tiger, was a great answer. Yeah, the tiger never tried that again. So Roy just had, like, insane instincts with these animals. Yeah, I think I'd just give up. Yeah, I'd just... Bite him in the nose. Get it's bold. But there was another occasion where Siegfried and Roy took an unexpected vacation from their show, and it turned out that Siegfried had been bitten by one of the lions, and he needed to get 33 stitches for the chunk that had been taken out of his arm. Siegfried said in the show, when he took the lion out of his cage, he wanted to show how ferocious it was. So he had a little wrestling moment with it and he got too carried away. So the lion bit him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They were exceptional illusionists in that they hid the danger of the animals in their act. Like they seemed completely in control. And sometimes the danger was just an illusion. A part of the show included Roy walking across the stage with a gigantic tiger named Montecor and he would announce that this performance was Montecor's first night on stage. In reality, Montecor had performed that highly choreographed moment hundreds of times for many years, but saying it was his first time added to how unbelievable everything was. And this is my favorite part of the show, because I love lies to make it better than it is. Yeah, Roy would come out with the tiger like on a leash, and he would say, this is Montecor? And it is his first night performing on stage. And everyone would go, <gasps> Did no one tell anyone else? Like, <laughs> it's not even like you really need the internet to know. Yeah. Like, I was going to say, oh, yeah, there was no internet. But, like, 
how many people were at this show who've seen it multiple times yeah yeah come on guys especially like las vegas locals i mean i'm sure it was just like a haha montecore of course has been here for years but nobody else knows that then that's fun yeah it's it's like a fun little secret if you know you know but on the night of October 3rd, 2003, that moment changed Siegfried and Roy's lives forever. That day, Roy had been celebrating his 59th birthday. In the early hours of that morning, he had been partying with 500 friends and fellow entertainers. The night before, he had spent the evening table hopping and dancing, and at midnight raised a glass to his partner, Siegfried Fischbacher, in celebration of their 44 years together. He was apparently in great spirits, and all of his friends were kidding around with him and making jokes about his age and how he eventually would have to retire. And to that, Roy said, I'll retire only when I can't do it anymore. Uh Uh-oh. There was a lot of physical strength required for this performance from Roy. He was like jumping and running and flying all over the stage with these like animals. It was crazy. Roy would swing on ropes 30 feet above the audience and handle 600 pound tigers that were the centerpiece of the act. Fellow Vegas magician Lance Burton said, it is incredibly dangerous and we took Roy, this Superman, for granted all these years. It was pretty incredible that in 30,000 perfectly timed shows with elephants, lions, tigers, cheetahs, and sharp-beaked macaws, Siegfried and Roy had never had a serious mishap. But less than 24 hours later, from his birthday, Roy would be near death in the trauma unit of the University Medical Center. So that night, the performers had to be at the theater at 7 for a 7.30 show. Roy would come into the area where the performers were stretching and sort of get them hyped up for the show. He would start by saying, hello, my loves. Roy had a great relationship with the performers. They were all like one big family. Siegfried was a bit more reserved, but Roy was always running around and playing with everyone. When the show began, Siegfried and Roy stepped out on stage for one of their many sold out shows in front of 1500 people at the Mirage Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. By that time in 2003, Siegfried and Roy had been performing alongside exotic animals for 44 years. 45 minutes into the show, at about 8.15pm, Roy let out Montecor, a 400-pound, 7-year-old white tiger from Guadalajara, Mexico. During the show, the big cats on stage were usually kept in hidden restraints. However, during this portion of the show, Montecor was only held on a thin leash by Roy. It was called the Rapport Act, which was used to show a bond between Roy and his cat. At the climax of this act, Montecor was trained to stand on his hind legs and place his paws on Roy's shoulders, so it looked like a slow dance. But that night, something went wrong. The cat became distracted by someone in the 1,500-member crowd and broke his routine, straying toward the edge of the stage. With no barrier protecting the audience, Roy leapt to put himself between Montecor and the front row, only a few feet away. The tiger kept coming, so Roy gave him a command to lie down, and Montecor refused, gripping the trainer's right wrist with his paw. The performers backstage recalled, Roy had a monologue during this portion of the show, and while they were all off stage, they had a nightly ritual to lip-sync along with Roy. But that night, there was a very long pause. The audio was playing in the dressing rooms downstairs as well, and the performers heard this weird pause and noticed it, but didn't think too much of it. However, it was soon clear to everyone that something was very wrong. Roy had lost the chain around the tiger's neck, 
and grabbed for it, but couldn't get it, according to Tony Cohen, a Miami tourist who was sitting 10 yards from the stage. With his free hand holding a wireless microphone, Roy tried repeatedly tapping Montecor on the head, the sound reverberating through the theater. He said, release, release, while he's like hitting Montecor in the head with the microphone. Bro, how scary is this as an audience member? Actually, people thought it was part of the show. So some people were laughing. Oh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I guess it depends on how he's saying it. Yeah, that's true. Montagore relaxed his grip, but Roy had been straining to pull away and fell backwards over the tiger's leg. In an instant, Montagore was on top of him, clamping his powerful jaws around Roy's neck. Oh my god. Siegfried, standing nearby, ran across the stage yelling, No, no, no! Four of the tiger handlers ran out on stage to try and get Montagore off of Roy, but nothing worked. The tiger dragged his master 30 feet off stage, literally like a ragdoll, is a quote from another witness. And backstage, one of the stagehands screamed, cat loose, and then someone else yelled, it has Roy. The audio downstairs in the dressing room was cut, and the performers were locked inside the room. They didn't know what was happening at that point, but they were like, I guess we should put on our shoes in case we have to run from a tiger. Like, what is happening? So a couple of gasps went up in the crowd, though many people, like I said, thought the incident was part of the act. An audience member recalled, it wasn't like Montecore grabbed him viciously. He just grabbed him by the throat and walked off stage. Montecore had bit Roy through the neck, slicing his vertebrae, and had torn Roy's jugular vein, barely missing his carotid artery. But it had cut off the blood to the right side of his brain. What? So he cut the... Jugular jugular but not the carotid but then his blood flow is also blocked i guess it's just spurting out of him so it's oh not like it like, can't okay yeah and it spurted on siegfried by the way oh, Jesus. yeah talk about traumatizing and the whole time roy was screaming out in pain once backstage it was pandemonium everyone was panicking because one montecore was loose and two roy was extremely wounded it took four men and a fire extinguisher to pull montecore off of roy They tried spraying Montecore, and when that didn't work, they hit him over the head with the butt end of the extinguisher, which made him run back to his cage. Siegfried, at first, didn't realize how badly Roy had been hurt, but Lynette Chappelle said she had immediately recognized that Roy's injuries were life-threatening. A crew member managed to temporarily stop the severe bleeding, while cast members formed a prayer circle. In the ambulance, Roy managed to gasp, Montecore is a great cat. Make sure no harm comes to Montecore. Wow. That says a lot. Yeah. Once he made it to the University Medical Center, he flatlined on the table. Montecore had left two gaping puncture wounds on the back of Roy's neck. Doctors immediately rushed Roy into surgery for the back of his neck and spent three hours operating and trying to control the massive blood loss Roy was suffering. Shortly after 11.30 p.m., they wheeled Roy out of the unit and into another part of the hospital. But early the next morning, Roy suffered a quote-unquote pretty big stroke, in the words of one physician, and was returned to surgery at 9.30, where doctors performed a large, decompressive craniotomy, temporarily removing about a quarter of his skull to relieve the swelling on his brain. And apparently- They just like opened it like a lid? Yeah, they cut a piece out. Wow. And they actually apparently kept the portion of the skull in his abdomen to keep the bone tissue alive. Wait, no, no, no. We've seen this before where they put somebody's skull there to like regrow it. You remember that? I did. There was something that. like that. 
but that's insane. Yeah, they just like, they keep just... the skull incubating in your yeah. abdomen. Weird. It's cooking. It, yeah, well, it's just staying warm. <laughs> it's not cooking. Roy was left partially paralyzed on the left side of his body, and his windpipe was crushed. He was placed on a ventilator and was unable to swallow or speak. That night in the hospital, the doctors gave Siegfried a really terrible prognosis for Roy. They told him Roy was clinically dead three times, and he most likely would never speak or walk again if he did, like, wake up. But because Siegfried was so in shock, he didn't believe the doctors and felt like somehow he would pull through. Hundreds of people showed up outside the hospital to hold a candlelight vigil for Roy. Because of the loss of blood and oxygen to the brain, physicians said that Roy could have experienced some irreversible paralysis and brain damage, and he may always need assistance even with basic activities, including walking. Often in cases like Roy Horn's, a patient also exhibits residual effects of brain injury, such as speech difficulties, memory problems, emotional instability, and impaired critical thinking skills. The day after the attack, as Roy laid in the hospital bed, police showed up at the Mirage, unsure of what they were even looking for. There wasn't a typical crime scene. There was no stabbing or shooting. When they entered the showroom, the police said it looked like any normal showroom that had recently been occupied. There were drinks on the tables and nothing had been cleaned up. The only thing out of the ordinary was the blood all over the stage. They basically had to consider that there was a possibility of a crime. It was possible that someone from the audience had provoked the tiger to attack Roy. They thought possibly animal rights activists could have been involved, someone with a vendetta against Roy, potentially someone homophobic, or maybe it was an inside job of someone on the staff. How could you convict somebody, though, for provoking a tiger? There's got to be some kind of way you can get someone in trouble for that. Well, that would mean that you would have to prove that they purposefully provoked the tiger. And that, well, you have to prove both, like that they purposely did it and that they were the sole reason they provoked the tiger. It just seems like such a weird legal case because it's indirect. It was very weird, but they thought that it was possible that someone may have like sprayed something or I don't know, had somehow made the tiger attack him. So they had to like check the tapes and like see who was sitting at all of the tables around the stage and like talk to people and see if anyone had seen anything weird. Like, yeah, they just didn't know what they were looking for, but they felt like they had to look for something. It was just kind of like a yeah. weird investigation. And there were some weird theories like they tried to figure out where on the stage the attack had happened and who was sitting in the theater close by because, like I said, they thought someone sprayed something to agitate the tiger. And there were rumors of a woman who had a beehive hairdo, which was a very odd hairstyle at the time. So when investigators asked people sitting at the table where the woman was supposed to have been, nobody remembered seeing a woman with a beehive. But they were like, okay, if someone had a beehive hairdo, potentially they hid something in their hair. Like This is getting uh, out of hand. It's getting a little weird, right? And that was a very odd theory that started when the CEO of the Mirage made a suggestion to the police that Montecor had gotten distracted by a big hairdo. <laughs> but then that just got blown out of proportion. So they were like, okay, Montecor got distracted by a big hairdo, beehive hairdo, someone hid something in their hair, they sprayed something at the lion. Like, it, it just got out of hand. And it was kind of a waste of time. Could you imagine arguing a case where your hairdo induced a tiger attack? <laughs> like, Your well, Honor, she was 
had a beehive hairdo. They even had to like, <laughs> Your Honor, her hair was whack. No, uh, <laughs> they even found the woman who was like supposed to have had the beehive. And they asked her like, hey, did you have a beehive the other night? And she was like, what? No. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Did I have a beehive? And then she pulled out a picture from that night. Because like it was a night out on the town. She had like a picture of what she looked like and she did not have a beehive. So... Oh. It was just a weird, like, stupid investigation that happened. And nothing came of it. Like, they didn't find anything. Yeah. Because the it, it's just a, a wild animal who, like, somehow got agitated and attacked its person. Like, yeah. it's not crazy. That shit happens. Right. And I feel like that would be the legal defense of anyone that yeah. tried to induce the attack. Oh, my God. Of course. You know? Yeah. You're like, this is literally a jungle cat. It's 400 pounds. What did you think was going to happen? rest my case the night at the performance everyone said that roy was attacked by his tiger but roy believed that he had fallen on stage after suffering a small stroke and montecore was actually trying to help him and not hurt him he said montecore was bringing him to safety on the other side of the stage and roy said montecore saved his life because he was already having a stroke did they say that he had a stroke before he went to the hospital? So Roy did have a stroke that night, but doctors aren't able to figure out if it happened before the attack or, you know, after. Hmm. Does he remember the attack? Kind of, but not really. Hmm. He said that he wasn't in pain or like scared and he was very clearly like screaming out in pain. So it's very possible that his mind just like blocked it out. Yeah, I was like, this really seems like he's making stuff up. Yeah, and we'll talk about that later. But um, that was what Roy pushed very hard to like everyone who asked him was like, I was having a stroke. Montecore was doing me a favor, basically, like he saved my life. But animal behaviorists put little stock into that notion. They said it's more likely that Montecore was on his way to delivering a killing bite, much as a tiger in the wild would bringing down an antelope. Kay Rosary, who runs the Big Cat Encounter, said, Even though they're raised in captivity and they love us, sometimes their natural instincts just take over. They're predators, so who can really know what goes on in their minds? And some members of the show who witnessed the incident say the cat didn't necessarily try to kill him, but was confused by the break in their routine and got angry at being, like, disciplined. They believe that the stress of the situation caused Montecore to turn on Roy, who had worked with him almost daily from the time he was six months old. Montecore had missed his mark, and Roy directed him in a way that he wasn't used to, which caused the tiger to lunge toward Roy, and Roy fell on the ground, Montecore attacked him, and he thinks that the pair never admitted the truth about the attack because they didn't want to ruin the image they had built around their relationship with the tigers. And honestly, to me, that one sounds the most plausible. Yeah. I mean, it also could be that he just didn't want to believe that Montecore would do that to him. Sure. Yeah, very possibly. Animal handler Chris Lawrence, who worked for Siegfried and Roy from 1995 to 2006, alleged that the attack happened because Roy had become less involved with the big cats over time, and it was due to his diminished presence and mistakes that led to the attack. And this has, like, come out very recently. Like, this handler came out, I believe, in 2019 with this. Wow, like an expose? Kind of, yeah. Wait, are they dead now? Are they, they still are. alive? They are both dead now. We'll get into that later. But Okay. Um, so Chris Lawrence said many of the handlers thought that Roy was treating the cats more like props than he was respecting them for who they were. 
They can only work as long as there are no variables, which is impossible, considering that you're dealing with a living, thinking animal. I am positive that Roy's diminished relationship with Montecore was a key factor in the attack. By Lawrence's account, the performance during Horn's 59th birthday celebration began with the tiger missing his mark. Lawrence said he and other handlers had previously been reprimanded for stepping in to control animals. Um, he said, quote, they didn't like making mistakes and never owned them in front of the audience. I had been yelled at by Siegfried on a few occasions. His favorite phrase was, are you trying to ruin me? He would later apologize and explain that because he and Roy were on the marquee, they couldn't make mistakes on stage. Well, then don't make mistakes on stage. Well, so the handlers would kind of like run onto stage if they felt like the cats were getting out of hand with Siegfried and Roy. And then Siegfried would be like, you are embarrassing me. Like we have it under control. We can't make mistakes. Yeah, I guess so. But like, you know. No, it's I not mean, like it's for no reason. Of course, like they're there for safety. Obviously, something yeah. can go wrong. Like it happened. He said, despite employing several animal handlers who handled the training and care of the big cats, Roy in particular was adamant about keeping the illusion that he himself did all the training. So this guy's basically like Roy wasn't as involved as he made it seem. So it's probably why he was attacked. Hmm. So who's to say? I mean, there's no proof that that is the case. I mean, Roy went to great lengths to talk about how he was very in control of Montecor and they had such a good relationship and all this stuff. So, I mean, it's very possible he's telling the truth, though, that these handlers were the ones that were really the ones training the tigers. Yeah. He said, he said. Yeah. Type of situation. Mm hmm. He said, by Roy not following the correct procedure, it fed into the confusion and rebellion by Montecor. The tiger took Roy's sleeve in his mouth, and Roy countered by hitting the cat on the nose with his microphone, saying no, which led to the attack. So that also makes sense. According to Roy, the experience never changed his love for the animals or for Montecor. After the attack, they did have to change things up at home. The couple was no longer living alongside their big cats. They always had animals that they cared for, like ducks and horses, but they were not able to keep dangerous animals since they wouldn't have been good for Roy's recovery. But his animals leaving his home, Roy said, was by necessity and not choice. However, I did see that something said that Roy lived with Montecor until his death in 2014, meaning Montecor's death, but I don't think that they were like actually living with him like he was roaming around freely anymore because his injury was so severe that he wasn't able to like really even walk or talk for a while so yeah i was gonna ask what the recovery was like yeah it was long um and grueling but he was always very optimistic and like very strong and he made leaps and bounds like the doctors did not expect him to have any kind of significant recovery and he really did the most okay but we'll get into that so Siegfried was with Roy every step of the way through his recovery those close to them have said they are so closely intertwined they're like brothers which kind of made me laugh that's hilarious it's like historians will say they're besties right <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're besties I think uh you know I think they were gay. in they're love slain. also what did he say when he came in to like greet the dancers before every show Hello, loves, or something Hello, like that? Hello, loves. Come on. Well, uh, they were both very obviously gay. There was no secret that they were gay. 
I know, but like, yeah, the fact that they would say brothers is kind of funny. I know, that made me laugh. My brother would totally go into a room and be like, hey, loves. (laughs) Right? They're just like two gay men living together, like in a big mansion. I mean, come on. It was But they're like brothers. Yeah. (laughs) Yassified brothers. Um, (laughs) uh, Without one, there isn't the other. They They have an extraordinary relationship. The real meaning of the word love is what this person has said. That's sweet. Yeah. And as Siegfried put it, it has always been about together. Roy's recovery shattered every doctor's best prognosis. Amazingly, he responded to Steve Wynn only days after the attack, squeezing his hand once for yes and twice for no, and answering in the affirmative when he asked if he could handle such an ordeal. He also indicated that he wanted to see his pug-nosed dog, Pilaf, oh no, Pilaf. It's not Pilaf. It's Piaf? P-I-A-F? Paif? I don't know. Who was brought to the hospital for a visit, and his neurosurgeon said it is all but miraculous that he is alive. According to the duo's manager, Bernie Yerman, Roy was taken off the ventilator in mid-November. His cognitive skills were intact and perfect, according to Yerman, and the entertainer was writing prolific notes, giving orders in them, and even asking for a Madonna CD. That's kind of amazing. How far after the incident is this? It happened on October 3rd, and by mid-November, he was writing and communicating. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty quick for having your spinal cord severed. Yeah, and um, doctors were saying he may never, like, walk or talk or anything. They always do that. (laughs) I've had enough of them. Because they always, like, prepare you for the worst case. Yeah. Every time. Yeah, but They're like, yeah, he might die. Well, I mean. like, he has a paper cut. He flatlined three times on the table, so it's a bit more severe than a paper cut. (laughs) He got bit in the neck by a tiger. Yeah. I know. But how bad? He wasn't trying to kill him. He was just (laughs) trying to save him. Right. No, I know you're joking. But no, I mean, (laughs) it was by mid-November. So it was like basically a month later. Yeah. And by December 22nd, 2003, 11 weeks after the attack, Roy left the hospital. By late January... His tracheal tube was out, allowing him to talk, and he asked for his two favorite foods, pistachio ice cream and wiener schnitzel, and his mobility too had improved. Siegfried reported that Roy was standing up and about to start walking. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Reporters asked Siegfried if he would continue without Roy, but he said he would never take another partner. There's n- almost like till death do us part. <laughs> Guys, we need to read between the lines right. here. Uh, there's no need, he said. Roy will be back. Roy is bigger than life. He always explained to me, life is full of miracles, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Roy's optimism during his recovery never wavered, and he managed to make unbelievable strides. He remained strong and determined and defied the odds with his recovery. In fact, the person who almost didn't recover from the incident was Siegfried. Siegfried became incredibly depressed. From the moment Roy was injured, Siegfried had tried to maintain the image that he had perfected over the many years of performing. He even stuck his head out of the window to all the people holding a vigil for Roy at the hospital and waved, and he said he loved them and thanked them for their continued support. I mean, could you imagine, like, your partner is knocking on death's door and you stick your head out of the window and have to, like, you know, put on a show for the fans, kind of? Yeah. So he he just was, he's a performer at heart. Like he just knew what to do. And I mean, he was in complete shock. So that helps, I'm sure. Right. But even as Roy recovered, Siegfried fell deeper and deeper into depression because they no longer had the one thing they had done for decades. 
He supported Roy's recovery the whole way, but for years, he just put on a face for cameras and probably for Roy as well, because he said he had to be strong like Roy and strong like a tiger. But inside, he was struggling. He felt so alone and so lost, especially because the show had so abruptly ended. They hadn't even gotten a chance to say goodbye. I mean, think about that. That's something you do for 44 years. And then one day it just is done and you have no say in it. And it's just like yeah, your that's whole it. life is turned upside down. Yeah. I mean, just to have something happen that sudden, just like things are fragile. But I mean, at 44 years, I mean, it's kind of like your baby, you know? Absolutely. It was like, I mean, they started when they were teenagers together and they just grew their performance until it was, you know, perfected. And they were doing multiple shows a week for sold out audiences every single night crazy to think yeah, I mean, about incredibly proud of it but like 100 percent. but it sucks that yeah. they just he had to just say goodbye Snapping one the day fingers, yeah you know, just done right after the attack and before the story even hit the papers producer kenneth feld had canceled the show telling more than 200 cast members to look for other work siegfried and roy the most popular act in the history of vegas was over so it was immediately canceled after everything as it needed to be but it was just huge whiplash for siegfried the duo did get back on stage one more time in 2009 for a final show as a benefit for the Lou Ruvo Brain Institute. So they, they did have a goodbye performance once Roy was recovered enough in 2009. Um, and it was even for a good cause. They were raising money for like a brain hospital or something. Did they do like the same things? No, it was a much <laughs> smaller performance. I think it was only 10 minutes long, if I'm correct. But they did like make tigers appear on stage but it wasn't nearly the performance that they were putting on years prior and yeah, and I mean, roy like could kind of not really walk as well as he used to be able to so like siegfried said like he had to make the show in a way that roy was able to do it yeah I so mean, yeah he was walking really slowly and you know they had to put on certain things to make it what it was but at least they got to do a goodbye performance yeah they got some closure That's yeah good definitely they wanted to end their performance days on a high. Even though the pair wasn't able to move around and perform illusions quite like they used to, they still put on a great show and even brought Montecore back out on stage for a final trick. Damn, what was it? I think they just made him appear or something. Like they, oh. yeah, but still, I mean, they made a tiger appear. Give, <laughs> like give him one last small. feature. <laughs> yeah. On April 23rd, 2010, the duo retired from show business. It was like the dot at the end of the sentence for them, which is an incredible run. Yeah, I mean, who else does that? Yeah, seriously. However, Roy did pass away of COVID in May of 2020 at oh the age God. of 75. Yeah. That's what got him? Yeah, Roy. Um, Siegfried succumbed to pancreatic cancer the following January. He was 81 years old and both had, at that point, obviously retired from show business a decade earlier. But um, after the pair died, their money went to a foundation dedicated to the protection of white tigers and trust. And on Roy's death, before Siegfried had died, he shared a few parting words saying, From the moment we met, I knew Roy and I together would change the world. There could be no Siegfried without Roy and no Roy without Siegfried. Are you tearing up? I don't, no. I don't blame you. It's really kind of sad. Fuck. I know, isn't it? Like they had an, an epic partnership. 
Yeah, I mean, to just think about the the length of that, like all the things that they did together. So, so cool. Like they were just on a boat that they stole a cat from. That's how it all started. Yeah, brought a cheetah on board. (laughs) Yeah, we're just performing for over 40 years and made a billion dollars. Well, they didn't make a billion dollars. That's right. That's revenue, but. A billion um, in ticket sales, but $57 million a year. I mean, that ain't too shabby. I mean, I guess now i do know who they are now you know who siegfried and roy are that's true (laughs) um yeah i i vividly remember the simpsons having something with siegfried and roy like they kind of made fun of it i mean that's kind of typical like people i think they had like a skit on saturday night live about it like people have kind of made like a nudge nudge wink wink at siegfried and roy um over the years it's like a pretty well known right did they make a joke after the attack? Yes. Yeah. There were, um, there were like, I think the Simpsons one was like, they, he got attacked by the lion. Like it was about the attack. Yeah. It's too easy. It, yeah. I mean, if you're going to pick some low hanging fruit there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, watching the show on uh, YouTube, like there are recordings of the performance. Mm-hmm. I wish I could have gone to Vegas to see them perform. And apparently... My aunt went and saw them and she said it was the best performance she has ever seen in her life. Wow. Yeah. High praise. It it looks insane just from the videos. Like I can't even imagine being there in person and like seeing actual tigers and lions and elephants like appear and disappear. Like just from the few magic acts that I saw on YouTube from them, I was like, holy shit like this is magic like it's really cool this is magic it's it was so cool i would love to see i gotta see it now yeah i gotta show you epic elephants yeah they had a whole elephant like they would raise up like glass boxes off the ground and they would show that there's like nothing behind it nothing in it and then like a screen would come down over it and then it would come back up and like an elephant would be inside of it or like a tiger (laughs) isn't that insane like how do they do that the coordination that's pretty insane okay yes the coordination but like i know i'm not a person who like knows how to do magic so maybe someone out there who's a magician is like oh obviously they just hit it here but like they're literally lifting a glass box off the ground and then in one second a tiger appears in the box that's magic yeah dude it's magic we should have gone to the magic castle when we were in la i know you need like an invite to go so like we couldn't have just rolled up but like i really know who we are (laughs) oh my god do Um, they know do you even know who i am i mean that's the line to pull in la yeah i'm sure everyone would do a big eye roll we have a podcast (laughs) they're like cool you and every other they're like what what kind of to true now it's true survival (laughs) we have a niche Um, (laughs) uh no i but it it has inspired me to want to go see a magic show okay that'd be really fun i'm into it i love the illusion yeah like if you were to know i'd be like maybe it would be still kind of cool the magic yeah i think it absolutely would be i mean I even had just talking like very low level magic. I mean, it was still impressive to me, but like when I was growing up, my cousin got really good at card tricks. And even when he would like show me how it was done, I'd he would do it again. And I'd be like, that's still incredible. I don't know how you did that. <laughs> it's like the sleight of hand shit that I'm like, that's so cool. Like that takes so much practice. 
Yeah, you should have been looked at him in the eye and been like, but yeah, do that with an elephant. <laughs> I mean, I thought that's at that point. how Siegfried and Roy got started. Yeah. I mean, he's like literally, your rabbit's cool, but can you make a cheetah appear? It's so. But he probably said it in German, so it probably sounded cooler. Duh. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so that is the story of Siegfried and Roy. It's really cool. Also, if you want more information, like, a lot of information on Siegfried and Roy. There's a really cool podcast called Wild Things, I believe it's called. So if you're interested to get more, check that one out. But yeah, what uh, is your good thing? My good thing is that I've been working on this thing at work for like a month. Yeah, you've been staying late like every single night for a month. It's insane. And now it's done and it's time for review. <gasps> and this is the part when um, people point out all the things that I've done wrong. Oh my but God. there's a beautiful moment, which is right now, in which I haven't read the feedback. And you get to just like coast in the I'm done phase yes, for a second. And I get to believe that it's everything is perfect. Every little thing. And nobody will have anything right. bad to say. They'll just say, Good job. Good job. That's you very did so good. Good, good boy. You're so smart. And you know what? We're going to pay you more and you're going to get promoted. Hey, I would. I mean, I wouldn't be mad. Slay. So I am really glad it's done. But I do get to live in a little bit of a delusion at and this point. And you know what? You deserve that delusion right yeah, now. Yeah, I do. You worked hard for that delusion. Right. What's your good thing? My good thing is that we got some crumble cookie earlier. Ooh, did um, we? And it, this is not sponsored, obviously, but I mean. But if they were. But if you wanted to crumble, I wouldn't up. say no. I will not say no. Um, Yeah, this week's flavors, which I mean, it's not going to be important when this episode comes out because I'm sure they'll change. But we had a little pumpkin cheesecake cookie, a little pink velvet cookie, a little banana mm-hmm. cream mm-hmm. pie cookie. Yep. A brookie, yep. if you will. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, I just give me a big cookie and I'm happy. Big it's hard to be sad. Equals happy and frosting, and it has it all. Right, checkmate. It's warm. It's warm. Come we on. Love, we love crumble. I mean. Um. Yeah. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at not today underscore podcast. If you would like to check out the bonus episode that is coming out very soon, and all the other bonus episodes we have out already, check us out at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival or something spooky that you'd like to send to me for a potential spooky listeners episode, send it to me at nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast, but the T on the podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. And I slayed that. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. 